All right, you brought a Bible, say yes. And uh, open with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 16 this morning. Luke chapter 16. You brought a Bible, say yes. God bless you. I see my buddy didn't bring a Bible with him, so I'll talk to you afterwards. God bless you. Hey, listen, Luke chapter 16, excited to talk to you on the subject, let's give this morning. Let's give. And honestly, studying Luke chapter 16, I have never seen giving in this light. So I'm pretty excited to be able to share it with you and hopefully motivate you to consider living a very generous life. So Luke chapter 16, stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll begin reading in verse 1 right there in your Bible. The scripture says, Jesus was also talking to the disciples. And there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And then the manager said to himself, what am I going to do since my master's taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. So I know what I shall do. So that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors and he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, well, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have been faithful, or rather not been faithful, in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at Jesus. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. So let's pray together. Father, uh, take your word, wash us clean, make us more like your son Jesus. Thank you for this awesome truth about giving. Pray that you would fill with your Holy Spirit that I might be able to deliver it to your people uh, for such a time as this in a way that would honor you. Draw people to yourself who don't know you. Uh, continue to strengthen and build families in the context of this body so that we are uh, more influential with the gospel and advancing the kingdom of God. Now pull back the truth of scripture and allow us to see the joy that we can experience in living generous lives. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray and everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, you've bought products before, I'm sure, at the store. And on the side of the product were some warning labels. Have you ever seen those warning labels before? Typically, warning labels are issued because an individual had purchased the product previously and done something ridiculous with it. And so, in order to make sure that person doesn't do that again, they put out warning labels. Now, for the past 15 years, there's actually a group that gets together and they establish awards to be given out to the individuals who had the most wacky and crazy warning labels found on the side of particular products. Now, I'm going to give some of these to you, and you're going to laugh hysterically. Are y'all with me? Say yes. And uh, one of those particular products is actually called a drive and talk. 
All right, that's the product that you're purchasing. On the label, it says, the drive and talk, never operate this speakerphone while driving. All right, let's go for number two. The camper, you, you may be a camper. You've seen this before, I'm sure. I've never seen them until I found this. But there's actually this thing called an off-road commode. And the off-road commode just attaches to a trailer hitch on the back of your vehicle. Just pull it around. Y'all seen this? Say yes. Now, warning label, do not use this in moving vehicle. Thank you very much. On a small tractor, there was this warning label that just simply said, Danger, avoid death. <laughs> Brass fishing lure, three-pronged hook on it. Warning label, harmful if swallowed. There's a children's scooter that has on it, this product moves when it is used. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me, but anyway, so uh, then there's this baby stroller. It has a warning on it, remove child before folding. That's how it works. <laughs> then there's a seven-inch decorative globe, little globe, has a warning label on it that says, do not use for navigation. <laughs> so, I think that's funny. <laughs> warning labels, hysterical to your pastor, not so much to you, but I do absolutely think they're funny. But you know, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, placed in the kingdom of light, right? So really, now that we are living as citizens of God's kingdom, there should be some warning labels on a lot of stuff just to help us. And one thing that all of us really should have warning labels on will be our wallets, as well as our purses. James, can I borrow yours? But anyway, our wallets and our purses, and I'm just kidding. Put that down, brother. God bless you. Just changed the entire sermon. But anyway, so... Uh, but warning labels that literally should read, uh, warning, this can cause slavery in your life. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing in this text of Scripture. He is cautioning disciples to make sure that he uses, that is the disciples, wealth in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ and advances the gospel of Jesus. Now, this is why Luke chapter 15 gives us the principle by unveiling heaven for you and I so that we can see what happens when one sinner repents. So one sinner turns from their sin and places their faith in Jesus. And the Bible says that all the angels of heaven rejoice in that decision. But we also know that the Bible teaches that the Father, speaking of God, actually rejoices when one sinner repents as well. And so the principle for you and I as followers of Jesus is that you and I should experience joy when an individual comes to faith in the Lord Jesus. Now in Luke chapter 15, we find that Jesus is unveiling heaven, but he does the same thing in Luke chapter 16, moving forward to show us that when disciples of Jesus love seeing others come to Christ, they will be generous in their giving toward the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. Now, did you know that the average giving of a church member in America is just barely over 2% of their income, 2%. Now, why is that? Why are people not more generous as followers of Jesus? Well, it could be because we have forgotten to read the warning label on our wallets or on our purses. And I don't believe that we truly understand what happens when we generously give to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll be honest with you, I hadn't fully understood it as either. I feel like the Lord has really taught me a bunch of stuff out of Luke chapter 16 this week. But let me give you the message to you in a sentence this morning. All right, so here's the message. Disciples of Jesus who rejoice in the salvation of souls express unrestrained generosity in the promotion of the gospel. 
So I'm gonna give you that sentence one more time. Disciples of Jesus who rejoice in the salvation of souls express unrestrained generosity in the promotion of the gospel. You know, Jesus' primary uh, audience in Luke chapter 15 were Pharisees, scribes, sinners, and tax collectors. But in Luke chapter 16, we find that he actually changes his focus and begins now to speak directly to the disciples. And it's awesome here because Jesus is going to begin uh, sharing with members of the kingdom of light all disciples who would go on after these disciples so that they can learn to give generously to the gospel's advancement. So really the key question of this morning's text is why should we give generously to the promotion of the gospel? So why should we give? Why should we live generous lives? Here's uh, two major truths this morning. Here's the first one. My giving and my generosity helps others hear the gospel. My generosity helps others hear the gospel. So look at this parable again beginning in verse 1. You've got it there in front of you. Say yes. And the Bible says, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And then this manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master's taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. And I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. By the way, that's the key verse there. I know what I'm going to do so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of the master's debtors and began saying to them, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write out 50. And then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. So he said to him, take your bill and write out 80. Now, very quickly, what do we know about the parable? What is Jesus teaching us? Well, so far, we know that the manager is just about to get fired. He's fixing to lose his job. He knew that he couldn't make it without the income of the job, so he devised a plan to make friends. Now, you've got to pay attention to this. He devised a plan to make friends. He went to those who owed the master some money. He canceled their debts with a smaller sum of money. And this would have made those who were in debt extremely pleased. So you think about it for just a moment. If somebody came to you out of nowhere and said, hey man, tell me, how much do you owe in your house? And you gave them the total sum of what you owe in the house. And then they said, well, sit down. Let me see the debt. I'm going to cancel it if you'll only pay like 50% of this debt. You don't think you'd be fired up about that or would you be happy? Can I get a witness on that one? And um, that's why this guy did it. What he was doing was uh, trying to use the money of the master so that he could make friends on earth. That way, after he gets fired from his job and he goes back through the town jobless, there would be many people who would show him hospitality and welcome him into their homes as friends. Now, when we listen to this parable, just as the disciples would have listened to it, we immediately identify with the master, don't we? And we're like, uh, if I hired a guy and he began to do that, I'd be furious. If I hired this guy and all of a sudden I said, okay, you take care of the manager, then he goes out and gives everybody this cheap discount, I would be fired up, angry. I'd want to bring the boom down on the deceitful manager. Y'all with me? And I believe that's probably what the disciples would have been thinking. Okay, Jesus now is really fixing to talk about how ridiculous this manager was. But that's where the twist in the parable comes. Look at verse 8 again. His master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now, whenever I read this to begin with, I was like, what? Why in the world is the master praising this kind of behavior? 
And the word praise literally means to speak of it as being excellent. And this is excellent behavior. I'm like, this isn't excellent. This guy's throwing this, this individual's money around. And so I began to study some more. And that's what we do together this morning, digging a little more. Notice he states that the master praised him because he acted shrewdly. Now, the term for shrewdly uh, means to act with wisdom, insight, and understanding. And there has to be more to it than just that, of course. So look at verse 8. He says, now this is huge. Are y'all with me? Say yes. You'll miss the whole thing if you don't get this. So listen. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Sons of this age, more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. So Jesus now is drawing a contrast for you and us, right? He's dividing the line, so to speak. You've got the sons of the kingdom of darkness. You have the sons of the kingdom of light. You've got the sons of the kingdom of evil, sons of the kingdom of God. And real quick, don't forget this manager, ma'am. He was using the money essentially to make friends on the earth. And how is that more wise than the way the Son of God on the earth is using money. Why is that more wise than children of the kingdom of God using money on the earth? Look at verse 9. I say to you, and this is Jesus now, speaking directly to the sons of God in the kingdom, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwelling places. First notice Jesus is saying that wealth, money, itself has no righteous value in and of it. Uh, He also knows that it will fail, and the word fail means to cease to exist, to depart, to be done away with. So Jesus is saying that money will one day cease to exist. It will depart. It will be done away with. But here's the kicker in the passage, and you flat out got to listen closely. This is wild. Jesus is saying that pagans, those who don't have a relationship with the Lord, pagans more wisely invest their wealth for temporal friendships on the earth than disciples do at investing their wealth in eternal friendships in heaven. Now, are y'all with me say yes? Pagans more wisely are investing their money on earth so that they can make friends. They are doing that more wisely than sons of the kingdom. Believers are investing their money in winning friends for eternity. Jesus is challenging his disciples and us to invest our wealth in the advancement of the gospel so that when we get to heaven, we will see the impact of our investment made in bringing people into the kingdom. So think about that for just a minute. If you're to enter heaven today, like today's your last day on the earth, question, how many people would be lined up to embrace you for your giving on earth, which helped them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? See, in a real sense... Our investment in the gospel now is actually storing up treasures for us in heaven. And some of those treasures are actually people that will welcome us into eternity. And Paul the Apostle called the people in Philippi, he says, you are my joy and my crown. He's talking to the church. You're my joy, you're my crown. He writes in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 19 to the church. He says, who is our hope? Who is our joy? Who is our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you, speaking about the church, is it not you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? So check it like this. Those whom we help hear and receive the gospel by faith will be our treasure, our crown, our glory in the presence of Jesus when we enter into heaven. 
Now, I don't know about you, but this makes me see the great joy in being generous with the finances which God allows me to manage. If my giving helps people come into the kingdom, then of course I'm going to be as joyful as the angels in Luke chapter 15, as excited as God the Father in Luke chapter 15 when one sinner repents. That new convert will be in eternity on the welcoming team as I arrive. Now, I want you to think this all the way through, all right? Y'all still with me say yes? Because it does. It's, it gets wild, man, okay? You and I give for the advancement of the gospel. And according to this text of Scripture, the Bible says that that money eventually is going to fail. However, when you enter into heaven, those individuals who are there because of your faithfulness in giving to support the gospel ministry, and they came to know Christ, they will be standing there welcoming you, shaking your hand. Now, this is what's wild, okay, because y'all know this, and uh, Walt Navra uh, are missionaries in Pakistan with their family. They were in our first service, right? And uh, through Easter, you and I had the opportunity to give some money to help raise SIM cards to go in telephones in Pakistan so the gospel could be shared. So as I'm writing this sermon, I'm thinking about all these things, right? So we gave some money to that as a family. We did that as well as church family. Many of you did. Now, here's the deal. Somebody over in Pakistan that I don't even know is going to open up his telephone and he's going to run all the way through the gospel, and the Lord is going to speak to his heart and draw him to salvation. Now, here's the deal. If I die before that dude does, all right? if I die before that dude, let me reverse it. If he dies before I do, can I get a witness on that? If he dies before I do, then whenever I die and enter into heaven, he's going to be there waiting on me, shaking my hand. Thank you for your gift. Your gift helped me hear the gospel. Now, that's amazing. The Bible says, Jesus said, it's like they will receive you into eternal dwelling places. And so here's the deal. You know, we've had the opportunity, Krista and I, to give so that people could hear the gospel in Africa, uh, down in uh, South America, so many places. And I begin to think about all these things that you arbitrarily give so the gospel can go out. And you think, well, just gave that away, just gave that away. No, we didn't. You don't give it away, you are storing it up. And the treasure are the individuals who come to faith in Christ. So who is our joy? Who is our crown? Who is our exaltation in the presence of Jesus Christ? Is it not these that we help come to faith in Him? That's where it's at. So what's neat about this, and again, all right, so preacher's learning. Can I get a witness on that? All right, God bless you. Preachers learning, can I get a witness from over here? James, thank you. So here's the deal, which is awesome. Somehow or another, our level of joy, now this is what's wild. Are y'all listening and say yes? Because this is awesome. When you give, even right here in the context of Concord, and you give so that the ministry can go forth, the gospel uh, can be preached, the ministry of making disciples can happen. If you are giving and then all of a sudden you see people getting saved, guess what? You get joyful about it. So somehow or another, our level of joy in the salvation of souls is proportionate to our level of giving to the promotion of the gospel. <laughs> so with that in mind, somebody might ask, well, I have no real joy in the salvation of a soul. What is my problem? So it's like I come to church, I see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, but I'm not inwardly joyful. Why do I lack joy when people are saved? Well, it could be because your joy, your level of joy, is directly proportionate to your level of giving. 
So if you lack joy in seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry of the body, then I guess the only challenge would be like, you lack joy, give more. I was hoping I'd get a witness on that. None. Give more. Uh, Here's what the Bible says. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So my heart, that's my will, my emotions, my thoughts, when my earthly treasures are invested in the advancement of the gospel, and then someone responds to the gospel by faith, where my treasure is, there my heart is. So now my will, my emotions, my mind are going to be tied to every single person's decision for Christ. It's going to make me excited. So if you like joy in the salvation of souls through the ministry of Concord, check yourself and ask, are you truly being generous? Now, somebody could be like, well, I give, but I still like joy. So if you looked at me, Levi, you'd be like, man, you think I'm the most generous man in the whole wide world, but I got no joy when people are saved. Well, your joy could be absent because you give with wrong motives. So if you're giving, treating God like some kind of machine who's supposed to give you money back, that is a selfish motive. So if you give to impress other people, there's no joy in that. If you give to manipulate and control people, there's no joy in that. These are all wrong motives. You should give out of sheer joy that Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor for your sake so that he might make you rich. So you and I, are y'all with me? Good night, man. That is crazy good truth right there in the Bible. I'm saying. So think about it like this. Kind of thinking through the whole thing. I'm jotting down notes as I'm studying. I'm like, okay, putting all this into perspective. That's why I love preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible. Just gives you a big picture and then, then links them together. My love for Jesus, my love for his mission will drive me to unrestrained generosity in the advancement of the gospel, which will lead me to experience eternal joy when one sinner repents. My love is linked to my giving. My giving is linked to my joy. So my joy in seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ is exploding when I'm living a generous life, giving so the gospel can be advanced. And the only reason that I would do that is because I really do love Christ and think people ought to know about him. So it's all tied together, man. So love linked to giving, giving linked to joy and conversion. Y'all with me say yes? Pretty good truth. Now, here's the deal, too. I'll just kind of throw this out for free. So I'm writing this message, right? And uh, this is what I love about um, preaching every week. Like before I come and get to preach to y'all, like the Lord preaches to me. Can I get a witness on that? So I'm learning as I'm going through, okay? So here I am, and all of a sudden, I'm on this point, and I'm writing all this stuff down. I'm like, this is awesome, this is awesome. And then the Lord brings to my mind a few things. One, he brings to my mind a sum of money that the preacher has. Y'all out there? And then brings to my mind some promises that I have made to give towards the advancement of the gospel. Now, here's the deal. Now, I'm thinking specifically about the second mile campaign, which we hit a couple years ago uh, to really push to to build out our student ministry center, to build out uh, this area out here in the foyer, also to help build out the paving, which God willing, when the government gives us permission, we'll do that. Can I? 
So here I am, I'm on my line, and I'm writing this, and I'm like, you know what? Giving to these things enables our church body to make disciples. We're, we're creating uh, opportunities through our giving to actually reach out with the gospel. Now, those individual students who give their faith to Jesus Christ, maybe on a Wednesday night, maybe on a Sunday morning, but they come to know the Lord, even though I'm not down there, I'm down there. Because I gave to him. Now, here's the deal. I'm writing this, and all of a sudden now it's like, I know what I had promised to give, and I know I still got time to give it, but I started thinking, and the Lord helped me think through it, right? Why am I holding on to it? Why don't I just give it now? <laughs> now, I'm just talking about me. Y'all listening? So I got all fired up about it. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to right now give it all. Be done with it. And, uh, I did so with joy in my heart. Y'all out there? So I went online. Online giving. It's amazing. <laughs> Clicked in there and put it all and gave some extra. And when I was done, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Now I'm all fired up because I am just reminding myself, and you help remind me that I am linked to what you're doing on the earth in redeeming people. All right? Just giving. My giving, my generosity, you're giving your generosity, helps people hear the gospel. Now, here's what I'm fired up about, all right? This is just me talking to y'all. Y'all listening and say, yeah, I ain't preaching to him, just talking to you. When I go to heaven, I'm going to be excited because I'll be able to see, coming down the line, on the welcoming committee, people from just about Every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. I'd be like, what is the deal here? What are y'all doing? Well, you gave. Your gift went through the Georgia Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, and all of these people heard the gospel and responded, and you gave. And I would be like, but it was just a little bit, but you gave. That's a, that's a, that, that right, y'all want to pass the plates again? It's good stuff, ain't it? Now, let me give you point number two. Y'all still with me, yeah? So my generosity helps keep my heart set on God and his kingdom. And that's it. My generosity helps keep my heart set on God and his kingdom. My heart is always wanting to go towards the earth, towards earthly things. But whenever I give... It helps me stay focused on the kingdom and its advancement. Verse 10, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? If you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And the key here is just to be faithful and the word faithful speaks of consistency, trustworthiness, simple principle. If you've got a guy working for you and he is stealing from the money drawer, you're not going to put him in charge of the whole business. And the scripture here is saying the Lord, all right, the Lord has given you what you have. And if you are not faithful in what God has given you, he's not going to give you more. He's not going to do that here, nor will you experience that in the age to come. So consider the wealth that the Lord has given you since you have been on the earth. <clears throat> have you been faithful with God's resources 
to advance his mission. Now, if, you, if so, then praise the Lord. But if not, then perhaps the wisest thing you can do at this time in your life is to figure out how you can begin to be faithful in your generous giving. Look at verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. And how many of you have been uh, critical this morning, maybe while I'm preaching, and you're like, there goes another preacher talking about money again. You may be visiting, and you're like, I'm here, and there they are. They're talking about money. That's all they ever talk about at the church. Here's the deal. Like, I'm preaching verse by verse. It wasn't even my desire to preach on money. Can I get a witness? Luke's gospel. It's his fault. <laughs> Please don't be angry at me. All right. But what I have discovered is that whenever a uh, pastor preaches on money, that there are some people that inside of them, they begin to rise up and begin to mentally say, you ain't going to touch this cash. Here's why they do this. Because they love their money more than they love the Lord. He's talking about money, man. Put that stuff out. I'm, I'm saving up for this. I'm saving up for that. I've got this in my mind. I've got this in my mind. I'm going to grab hold of this and pull it in. Can't touch this. Can't serve both, man. You cannot serve both. All right. You can't serve God and your money. So you, you got to go ahead and make up your mind. Who are you going to serve? Now, I found personally that whenever I'm generous, when I express unrestrained generosity, it actually frees me from the bondage of money. Giving generously helps me stay focused on the Lord and his mission. Uh, the Pharisees are listening, by the way, to this whole deal. Notice verse 14 and 15. He says, now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, notice that, they love money. They were listening to all these things and were scoffing at Jesus. So they hear Jesus talking about money. They're like, he don't know what he's talking about. He may as well quit all that trash talk about cash. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. So the Pharisees are basically like, wait a minute, don't start talking about our money. Our wealth is a sign that God loves us. Men see our wealth as God's favor. And these men were seeking their entire lives to justify themselves before men by what they had, by what they did. God knew their hearts. God knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows our will. He knows our emotions. He knows our thoughts. Where all, listen, these are the Pharisees. All of their thoughts were about their own estimation in front of other people. So everything that they did sought to build them up to show self-righteousness before others. And that's what they were involved in. Now think about the whole deal. This is huge. Remember, these Pharisees and scribes were all self-righteous. Man, there's so much to preach this morning, but just listen. They were self-righteous, right? Y'all with me on that? Self-righteous. Here's what I'm discovering about self-righteous people in the Bible. Self-righteous people are stingy with their wealth, therefore never joyful when a sinner repents and follows Jesus. Self-righteous people. Think about all them Pharisees, all the scribes, all the Sadducees. All they did was get ill every time Jesus was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. So like, why is he doing that? Why is he involved? Why are they following him? What is he doing? No joy in seeing people come to faith in God the Father. No joy. Why? Because they weren't involved in what God was doing on the earth. Not giving, stingy. Now, by contrast, Christ-righteous people are generous and therefore joyful when...
miles. All right, y'all out there, listen, this is what I want you to see now. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Miles, grab the end of that rope. Uh, I stole this illustration, and it's a good one. So Miles runs straight down the center of the, uh, the aisle. Y'all see the rope? Say, yeah. And uh, that thing is going way down there. This is a long one uh, brought to you by 129 Salvage. Now, I want you to check this out, okay? Look right here for just a moment at the end of this rope. Do y'all see this end right here on my end? Now, you've got to imagine something for just a moment. This rope is actually a timeline of your life, all right? Timeline of your life, your whole life. Now, look again up here at this part. See this little white part here? Say yes. That white part is your time on the earth. Are y'all listening? So here, here's what I have discovered, which is uh, quite weird to me, is that we spend all of our time here on the earth thinking about how we're going to invest, how we're going to give money, how we're going to do this, how we're going to do it, so that we have a better time here on the earth. Never considering the fact that all of eternity is going in that direction. So we waste our lives here, not giving so the gospel can be advanced. So my question for you is like, what are you living for? Are you living for that right there? Is that all you're living for, that little, that little thing? Or are you living for all of eternity? And the bottom line is that our generosity gives evidence of where we are truly living. Amen on that? Let's bow together. Father, thank you for your word this morning, our opportunity to uh, worship you.